0: Hey, good morning. I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. Um, glad to have you here. Thanks for choosing to worship with us this morning. And if you're listening later online, thanks for listening later online or on CD. Uh, we're glad to have you. And uh, man, we're glad for those kids who are heading out this morning, right? Hey, they've got a Christmas program they're planning for us in a couple weeks. It's going to be, I think it's December 22nd. Someone correct me quickly if I'm wrong, but I believe that's right. December 22nd in the morning, um, so that's going to be a lot of fun. They're ready to roll, I'm telling you that, and I think you know that. that they're going to have a great time with that, so um, that'll be fun. Um, and I also want you to know we're doing some things with missions for next year and next summer. Um, I hope to bring you some more news about that, really, uh, in the next uh, week or so here, and, uh, and we'll get you in the know on what's happening, all right? This morning, we are finishing up a series called well, That was said with such enthusiasm and such excitement Yes, we are. We're finishing Blind Spots this morning. This is part seven of seven, and now you will no longer be blind anymore after this series is over. Uh, We have started off um, talking uh, in these messages in fun ways, typically with math problems or other brain teasers to get you going. Some of you have asked for them. Uh, I've actually had more requests for that than any sermon notes ever in the history of my, my time here. So that's good to know what connects and what sticks with people. Uh, But we've said within this series that the reason we're doing this is because a lifetime is made up of days, and the decisions you make today, therefore, are actually quite important because they shape your lifetime. And what's even more important is that the assumptions behind those decisions are important to know and understand. And that's where we say, are there things, are there things that we think we know are true, but we might actually be missing something in relation to, to life and death, in relation to money and time and influence? Uh, things of that nature. So we've talked about that for six weeks now, and this is week number seven. So this morning in this final blind spot series, we're going to go a little different direction. We're going to drive it home perhaps a little more personally. This one is going to be, I think, maybe a little bit more difficult if the others weren't difficult enough to get our minds around. This one might be even a little more difficult to get our minds around. And I want to give you a a little bit of a disclaimer early on. Uh, There may be a time in here somewhere where you start to think, I think that Tim sounds like Dr. Phil. It's a scary issue there. Or Oprah, even a scarier deal, okay? There may be a time when you think, I think that this is maybe on the verge of like psychobabble or like... um you know, spiritual mumbo-jumbo or, like, maybe superstitious kind of thinking and, you know, just kind of anchored in pop psychology. I just want you to kind of know, disclaimer, that that may come through your mind. So allow that to come in and kind of deal with that, process that. Uh, you might be right or you might not be, but I just want you to know that that what I'm talking about this morning, I believe, doesn't fit in that category. I believe is actually very true and very solid biblically. We're going to get to the biblical text this morning um, in short order. But I just want you to know that, that we don't often talk the way that I'm going to talk this morning, okay? And we often put the, the language that I'm going to use in the context of that's psychobabble or that's just emotional mumbo-jumbo and uh, we just need to deal with things that are in front of us. So if you feel that way this morning, and now you're going to feel that way because I told you you might, um, but I just want you to know that. I want to begin we're, we're, this morning this way um, because we're going to talk about basically um, how we think about ourselves, the blind spot related to how we think about ourselves. And what you're going to hear me say throughout this message over and over is that uh, how we think creates reality and drives behavior, okay? How we think creates reality and drives behavior. I'm going to say that over and over again. Um, I I want to take you to... um, uh, a book that was written called "Learned Optimism" by a name, man named Martin Seligman. He was uh, contracted by a Metropolitan Insurance Company to do a survey uh, for them, and he writes about it in "Learned Optimism." And, it, and there's a thousand people that he surveyed, insurance agents. And, and here's the funny thing: uh, there are two different groups. They're put in two groups. Uh, the one group was people who were everyone was hired to work at MetLife, but but one group were people who um, failed. Their aptitude tests. So they come in, and the company wants to know: Are you able? Do you have the aptitude to work here? And They give you a test, and the people who failed were all in one category, but they were still hired. Okay, were still hired. And then the other group were people who all passed, and, and they were clearly hired as well. And so he studied these two different groups, um, and he noticed this: that if you would, if you were a betting person, maybe it would take the betting off the table. If I were to say to you, I would like you to take one of these teams, the group who all failed their aptitude test, or the group that all passed their aptitude test, and I want you to build a winning marketing strategy with them, I want you to build a, a winning um, company, who, who are you going to hire? <laughs> I mean, just by default, Oh, hello, I'm going to not go with the flunkies, okay? I'm going to go with the people who clearly showed aptitude on their test to do the job. And so, if you can, you can kind of tell where this is going, The reality is, in in MetLife, in their study, and and Seligman writes this in Learned Optimism, that the performance, that what they produced, the flunkies produced more. They outproduced their counterparts who passed the aptitude test. It's kind of weird, isn't it? And why is that? He also noticed another very um, common trait, and this is the big takeaway from this, that this, the flunkies were optimists. And the group of people who passed were pessimists. The people who flunked were told, You can't, but believed, I can. People over here were, were told via the aptitude test, You can, but they just thought, Man, I can't. I can't. And it's interesting, isn't it, that people who are told, I can't, but think I can, can actually outperform people who actually can, but think that they can't. And thinking, how we think about ourselves, creates reality and drives behavior. Within your business, it also drives performance. Within your families and relationships, it drives behavior. Now, you may say, well, that's an interesting little study. What does that have to do with me? Here's how this works for us. I think I've told you the story before of when Jen and I were dating and we had our first, uh, one of those kind of define the relationship moments um, where I first heard from her the words, I love you. Remember that moment? You guys were all like, oh, isn't that cute? Okay. Here's what happened. We're, we're downstairs in the basement and, um, you know, we're talking, whatever, and we have one of those, you know, quiet moments where we stop talking and you just, you're staring at each other. <laughs> you know, and, you know, and one of you says, in this case, I said, you know, what are you thinking? And we had been dating for a while and finally she's like, I'm thinking, I love you. Like I know you do. I know you do. So I said no. I, no, I didn't say that. But said I'm thinking I love you. And so, so here's the thing. Now let me ask you this: um, Did anything? Did anything in reality change in that moment? Because here's the thing: the way she had felt about me had already been in place days prior to her actually verbalizing that. Right? If not weeks, or maybe who knows? Maybe months. I don't know. The reality was that she, in her heart, felt, I love you, okay? But what happened in that moment, when she verbalized that, here's what happened to me. My thinking about our relationship changed. I'm like, this is serious. Like, whoa. And I'm thinking, and I think I said to her the same thing, I I reciprocated, I'm, I'm thinking, I love you too. And all of a sudden, we both verbalized to each other in that moment something that we had both felt in reality but had not expressed, Now, what changed? Reality didn't change. What happened was how I thought about that relationship in that moment changed, right? And how we think about relationships creates a new reality and changes behavior. And all of a sudden, in that moment, then the wheels start turning a little bit more. It's like, well, if she loves me then, and if he loves me then, and different things begin to happen, right? And we start marching toward engagement and then marriage, Why? Not because reality per se changed, but my thinking about where I stood in that relationship changed. How I think about myself in relation to you or others creates reality and changes behavior. You've experienced this at work, perhaps, if you've been evaluated for a performance review and the boss comes in, you sit down for a performance review and he or she is like, hey, you know what? You have knocked it out of the park this year. You did an outstanding job. We're just so grateful for you. Now, let me ask you. Did the boss just that morning or just in that moment decide, you, you've done a great job. I never noticed this before. No. They have observed your behavior for months, weeks, whatever it is, and they have already felt that this was your reality. This is what you do. We love that you work here for us. But in that moment, what happens to you? You're thinking because the boss verbalizes to you, this is what I think about you. Your thinking about the company and about your role there changes. All of a sudden, you come with more confidence to work. You're like, wow. They are really grateful for me. Wow. I have been empowered. I am thinking differently about how I work where I work. And how you think creates reality and changes behavior. Some of you now are in this situation where you're getting acceptance letters or non-acceptance letters from colleges, right? And some of you have been there here recently. When you get that letter and you're waiting for the school to kind of respond to you, and you finally open the letter from whatever school it is, right? You read it, and you're like, this is awesome. I've just been accepted at XYZ school. Now, again, let me ask you, what changed? The reality is you had already been accepted days prior. Once the admissions team decided you're in, you were in. You just didn't know that you were in until you get the letter. And in that moment, your thinking changes about reality that was already true, and you're thinking, oh, oh, look at this. I am now going to be a student at whatever school. Like, I am now a whatever mascot it is, I'm a badger, I'm a beaver, I'm a weasel, I don't know what they are, okay? You know, I'm whatever, and, and so all of a sudden, your thinking creates reality and changes your behavior. You buy a sweatshirt, right? I mean, you go out and start thinking about your dorm room and you kind of get a little whoop, little hop in your step, and you're like, man, I did it, I'm in, whatever, and a new reality. But the reality is that it was already true, just your thinking about who you are creates reality and changes behavior, okay? So this is reality for us. Now, those are all really positive examples and good. But here's the thing, the inverse we know is also true, right? If in that moment, back it up to when Jen and I were dating and we have that quiet moment in the basement, I'm like, hey, what are you thinking? She's like, thinking we need to break up. (laughs) Wow, you know, me too. You know, all of a sudden, that's very different, right? But that also changes my reality and changes my behavior. All of a sudden, the way I think about myself has really been knocked down a whole lot of pegs, and there's a lot of pain with that, right? Same thing in in your performance review with your boss. You come in, they're like, you know what? Good try this year, (laughs) but it's just not enough. You're just not doing well. The way you start thinking about how you work is very different. Same thing for the college letter, right? You open up that, that letter, and it's like, You know, we think you're a good person, but you're not good enough for here. You know, good luck with the rest of your life and all that, you know. Rejection letter. Now, here's what we know. How we think creates reality and drives behavior. Here's what we know. These things are not created equal, right? Like the the positive things over here, you know, I love you. You're accepted. Great job at work. Are Great. But then you get over here on this side. You get, I want to break up with you. You're not doing as well at work. And you're not accepted at school. And This kind of, th- what this creates in us is thinking that is heavier, right, than this stuff. This, this is heavier than this. It takes, what do they say, five, seven, ten compliments to outdo one negative criticism. The stuff that we hear, we begin to think and hear in our minds, that we hear from people is heavy, and it creates in us a reality. Even though we might hear an equal number of things, we hear three th- six things this week, three are positive, three are negative. Here's what we know, three and three, boom. The negative is going to drive that scale way down here because these things are just heavier on us. And here's what happens over time. We hear messages from people, parents, family, coaches, teachers, organizations, and they tell us things. And we try to filter that and we don't really know how to filter it. And over time, here's what can happen. We can begin to think about ourselves in a way that's not healthy, in a way that's not right. We can begin to think in a really negative way about us and we we don't even realize it. And this morning, here's the blind spot that I want to get to. The blind spot is this thinking that over time, over time, we hear messages, we get news from uh, organizations, from people, from family, from loved ones, we've been rejected too many times, where we start to believe, we start to believe, boom, the weight of the scales is kind of over this way, and we begin to think think about it this way. The blind spot is simply this. We begin to think, I can't. I can't. I can't. My mom always said I was never going to, and I, I know I can't. I never made it to the school that they did, and I can't. And my dad was never at home and way too busy, and I know that I wasn't valuable enough for him, and he never said this, never encouraged him, and I know I can't. I've been rejected. I can't tell you how many times I've been rejected. And I, I can't step into another relationship. I just can't do it and I've been fighting this sin for so long, this habit that no one really knows about, and, and I just am sending my own message to myself that you will never, I will never get out of this. I will always be this way. I am just a troubled soul and too hard to share with anybody, and I can't. The blind spot is this issue here of I can't, in particular, I can't change. I can't change. This is not a message about um, I can't, there's some things you can't do, okay? Let me just say that. Like, I can't be 20 again. As much positive thinking as I may want to create, and that's just not going to happen for me, okay? Um, my wife, as much as I love her, she's not going to be able to dunk a basketball, that 10-foot rim. She can't do that, and I still love her anyway. No matter the positive thinking, she can't do that. I'm not going to become the president of Bulgaria. I don't know if they have presidents or prime ministers or whatever, but I, I can't do that. Like, I just, legally, this is not going to happen. I can't. There's some things that I just can't do, and that, that's okay. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about this morning is the blind spot that says, over time, we begin to listen to the message that says, I can't, in particular, I can't change. I can't. This is who I am. I am who I am, and as much as you want to talk about uh, hope and you know, hopey changey stuff and all that. As much as you want to talk about that, I can't change. I am who I am. I, I just, I don't think there's ever going to be a time when I'm going to be able to get over my sin issues. I don't think there's ever going to be a time when I'm going to be able to get over my habits. I don't think there's ever going to be a time when I can get over how I've been raised my mom and my dad. There will never be a time when my relationships will be stable. I just can't change that at all. I can't. I can't change. And the weight of the scales kind of drives us down. And I'm telling you, how you think about yourself creates the reality you live in. And it drives your behavior. And you know it. And here's why this is important. Because if you believe that you can't, you won't even try. If you believe that you can't, you're not even going to create, try, invest, give it another shot. You just won't. You just won't. And neither will I. So, what does God have to say about this? Because I think what he has to say is very, very important. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. In there, we're going to read a section. Paul wrote this section. A guy named Paul, he was one of the followers of Jesus. And he was writing to a church in Corinth, an ancient part of the Near East there. And he was writing to them, Uh, he had a relationship with them, and and had some uh, very important personal things to say to them. In the book of 2 Corinthians, we read about that. If you don't have a Bible with you, by the way, there's one near you, around you, in the pew around you, and you're welcome to pick that up, take that home with you. If you don't own one, that's our gift to you. Um, And 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, if you're still with me, 1 Corinthians, and then 2 Corinthians. Okay, And and here we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and Paul is writing uh, to a group of people who are uh, really trying to understand how they should see themselves before God and really before one another because there's some conflict going on in the church at Corinth. Thankfully, there's no conflict in any churches since that point. But in case there ever are, he has something to say about it here. 2 okay? Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. And here's what, what he writes. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view thanks Paul so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view where it begins It's good thanks for that Paul we regard no one from a worldly point of view okay Paul um, what do you mean by that we regard no one from a worldly point of view and then he's like well let me I can tell you're a little confused let me, let me explain to you here let me give you an example Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we we do so no longer. Oh. We, We used to regard you in a worldly way, but, you know, what are you saying? Oh, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And they're like, what? He said, listen, let me explain it to you this way. You remember that time when you guys heard that Jesus said, that he was going to, you know, knock the temple down and in three days rebuild it? Remember those of you who were like, what is he talking about? I'm confused. Remember those people here? I mean, you in the back there, you were saying, remember you were saying that this guy is like any other Messiah. I can't tell you there's been a dozen other Messiahs. Just He's a flash in the plan. I mean, he's going to go away. I mean, remember how many of you actually, you know, were ready for the resurrection, right? And were anticipating that to come? I mean, how many of you were thinking about that? Oh, that's right, none of you. Remember... Remember that? Remember the guy named Peter? He was one of the disciples. Remember even Peter denied Jesus? And he's like, no, this this guy isn't real. You remember the time, is what Paul is saying. Do you remember the moment in our history that we shared when Jesus walked on the planet and we were like, we have no idea what he's saying, but it sounds really good. But I'm totally confused about who he is. And then, remember what happened? Then Jesus died. And how many of of you were, were there and trying to to call for his uh, salvation, to say, no, 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 don't crucify him. I mean, how many of you were disenfranchised when you thought, Jesus says he's a Messiah, yeah, but the Messiah is supposed to come with a sword, and he didn't come with a sword. So you remember that time, Paul says, you remember that time when we were confused about who Jesus was? Remember how we used to think, we used to regard Jesus in a worldly way? And then he said, We no longer do, right? Isn't that how verse 16 ends? We no longer do. We no longer regard him this way. Something happened. Something happened with Jesus where we all of a sudden stopped looking at him within the limits of human ability. All of a sudden, something happened where we used to look at Jesus because we had no other grid. No one else before us had ever died and then come back to life. Okay, no one else had done that and so I understand why you were confused I understand why we would judge him by our human standards I understand that we all used to think of Jesus that way we all used to judge him that way Do you remember that time? and do you now remember and you now know we no longer judge him think of him according to a worldly view There is now something categorically different about a man who predicted that he was going to die and come back to life and did it. There is something now categorically different about that man. Remember that? That's what I mean. We used to regard one another in a worldly way, and now we no longer do it. Why? Because of Jesus. A man who died and came back to life. And therefore, verse 17 here's so important, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? What's the next two words? He is a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and how does the verse finish? The new has come. Therefore, you church at Corinth, let me just tell you this. You used to think that Jesus was simply another uh, good teacher and all that, and you are kind of maybe hoping in the back of your mind that maybe there was something more, but you knew there were a lot of Messiah figures, and they all died and all that. We used to think about him that way, but then something happened. He actually came back to life. Now, you remember that moment? Yeah, we remember that moment. Okay. When that happened, therefore, if you are in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus... You have placed your faith in a man who has blown every human category of limitation there is. He has faced the the thing that limits all of us, death. And he's looked at it and he's gone beyond it and passed it. Therefore, if you are in Christ, you are by default new. You're different. You're changed. You're a new creation. The old limits are gone. The old limits are gone. Behold, the new has come. You are. You are a new creation. And so someone in the back is like, uh, Paul, this sounds like Dr. Phil. Have you been watching Dr. Phil, Paul? Because this just sounds a little bit like, just think positively and things will change. And here's what people know. Here's what I know. As much as I want to believe that I'm a new creation, I know me and you know you. And so someone once said when they were speaking, they began their message this way and said, everybody, I want you to know that if you knew me like I know me, you wouldn't be sitting here listening to me. But if I knew you like you know you, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. In other words, there's a part of us that we all know is just a hidden, deep, shameful part that I hope, that people around me just don't know about. And as much as I want to think, okay, as much as I want to think I'm a new creation and anything's possible, and I want to put away the I can't and believe I can, and thinking creates reality and drives behavior, as much as I want to believe that, Paul, come on, come on, come on. Paul, you don't know me. okay? You don't know my family. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know what I've done. right? You don't know what I've looked at this week. You don't know what I've thought about that person next to me. You don't know that I've thought about Leaving my family. I don't know that I thought about how I thought about my spouse this week, how I thought about my kids, how I thought about my girlfriend or boyfriend, or what I thought about my my boss, my coworkers. You don't you don't understand you don't understand me. And there's this kind of deep part of us, it's like I really think that's kind of neat that people talk about being new. But in reality, I know myself. I know how deep it is for me. And so here's where Paul goes in verse eighteen. He's like, Listen. I know I know there's gonna be this objection, so let me tell it to you this way. All this is from who? Good. Thank you. One person who got that. Verse 18. All this is from, what does the verse say? All this is from all this. Say that phrase with me together. All this is from God. Say it again with me. All this is from God. Okay? All of this is from God. In other words, yeah, I don't know what you've dealt with personally. Okay, I don't know all that stuff. But listen, I don't, in, in a sense, that's immaterial. All of this is from God. Yeah, but, 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 but you don't know me. You don't know how far I've gone, but you don't know what I've thought, what I've done, what I'm thinking about. Ah, that doesn't matter in this case. All of this is from God. God is the one who initiates. He's the one who brings. He's the one who brings it to you. All this is from God. Verse 18. Who, what's that next word? Who? Reconciled, see that word there, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's a big word, reconcile. I think you guys know what that means, okay? It means you stop the fighting between you. You get two kids in the room who are fighting over the red truck. All of a sudden you figure out a way to solve the argument and they get together, you've reconciled the argument, okay? This is all from God. He has reconciled or brought us near to God. This is what he's done. That word reconciled shows up five times in here. God, through Christ, is reconciled. Now, check it out in verse 19. And here's the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. That's an important piece. Check that out. In other words, as he's walking down the street and sees you, he's like, yeah, I see you. And I, and I see your sin. I just want you to know I'm going to stop here. I'm going to look at your sin. I see it. I want you to know this. I'm not going to count it against you. It's not that I've ever hidden it from God, it's that God sees it fully and says, I am not counting this against you. You can't hide from me. I made you. I know your thoughts before you know them. I know before a word is on your tongue. What are you trying to hide from me? I know you. And I see your sin, and I'm not counting it against you. I'm gonna stop in your heart, in your life, at your door, and look. Wow. Wow. I see that sin. Yeah. I see your shame. Yeah, I see it. Just want you to know. I'm not counting it against you. This is the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19. He continues in verse. The end of verse 19. And he's committed to us that message. In verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In other words, if we actually get the message that this is what God has done for us, Paul is saying to the church in court and to us, listen, you guys, now check this out, this is fun. You guys, you get to be the good news bearers to everyone else who doesn't know this. Because I just want you to know that there are people who feel very shameful and very guilty and are just trying to work themselves into a better position for salvation. There are people who think if only I'll come to church more consistently, I think God might like me better. There are people who think if only my marriage were to be saved, then I think God would be more appreciative of me. And there are people who think that if I could stop with my addiction to whatever, to pornography, to alcohol, to drugs, if only I could stop that, then God would love me a little bit more. And maybe, maybe someday he'll actually accept me. I mean, there are people who think that and there's people that you know and us who have dealt with that issue. And here's what he's saying. I'm giving to you the message of reconciliation. God stopped at your door, opened up, looked in your living room, looked in your bedroom, looked in your study, looked in your kitchen, looked on your computer, looked at your phone, seen your sin and said, I'm not counting this against you. I'm not counting this against you. It's amazing. It's an amazing change. Verse 21 is where Paul lands. He finishes in verse 21. And he says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you catch that? God stopped. He saw your sin. He saw mine. He said, I see it. I see it. I know it. I know it. I'm going to take it. I'm not going to walk away without dealing with it. I'm going to take it. And I'm going to put it on Jesus. And he who has no sin, I'm going to give your sin to him. Therefore, you are now new. You are a new creation. And you have just become the righteousness of God. You have become the righteousness of God. And I'm telling you this, how you think about yourself Creates your reality and drives your behavior. And on the scale, of how I see myself, I can almost guarantee you, a few of you walked in here this morning thinking, I am the righteousness of God. I don't know. I am a messed up, half committed, wish I could do more kind of person who hopes maybe someday that things will get better. That's what I am. I'm a work in progress. I try. That's who I am. I know I'm never going to be quite good enough because other people are always better. That's who I am. And the message is, boom, weigh you down over here, and you begin to believe, I can't change. I can't get over. I can't move forward. I can't, I can't, I can't, because you're thinking wrongly of yourself. If you are in Christ, in other words, if you have placed your trust in Jesus, you have placed your trust in a man who has blown human limitations. We used to regard him in a worldly way. We didn't think he really could do a whole lot. But then all of a sudden the world changed when he came back from from death. Everything changed. And when that happened and you believe in him, you are now in him. And the limitations of I can't, I can't, I can't just got changed. Because you now, that sin that you have, the reason you think that God won't accept you, you now, that sin, when you believe in Jesus, is taken from you and put on Jesus. And he who was no sin was made to be sin for you and for me, so that you who believe may become perfect before God. The righteousness of God. Amazing. Amazing concept, isn't it? Here's what I want us to do this morning. Some of you have a really hard time accepting this reality. A really, really hard time. Let me put it this way. All of us have a hard time accepting this reality. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to hear us say the truth of 2 Corinthians 5, 21. So, but so what this morning? This right here. This is what I want us to say. I want you to say this right now. If you have been to that point where you're saying, I, I, I believe in Jesus Christ, and I, I've been to that point, and I, I believe, I place my faith, I trust in Jesus for my salvation. Here's the truth, Okay. Here's the truth. This is no Dr. Phil, let's just feel better about ourselves moment. This is just the truth of the Word of God. That he who was made to be sin for us came back to life, that we might be a new creation. Therefore, I am the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God. I'd like us to say that now if you are in that point where you're saying I believe in this guy named Jesus I am the righteousness of God ready one two three I am the righteousness of God one more time I am the righteousness of God one more time I am the righteousness of God look to the person next to you and say you are the righteousness of God now that was funny that was funny. This is the truth, isn't it? And I'm telling you this, and you know this already. How you think about yourself creates your reality and changes your behavior. And some of you might be thinking this because, because you've been so driven to try to please God. You're thinking, this is just too easy. Okay, just too easy. If this is what we believe, then I'm just going to... If you're giving people this license, they're just going to fall into sin and do all kinds of stupid stuff. I mean, we've got to obey. I mean, we've got to believe and we've got to, you know, work hard to trust Jesus and make the hard decisions and all that. Okay, let me go back to the basement when Jen and I were dating. I had that moment of silence right before she changed my life forever and then changed hers. Um, In that moment when she's like, hey, I love you. You know what my response was not? My response was not like, Cool. Now I no longer have to try to gain your interest. Like, now I don't have to try. I'm not going to send you any more flowers. I'm not going to even come over. Listen, when we go on a date, you come to me. I'm not going to stop opening the door for you. Like, I'm just done trying to win your affection. Is it, really? I mean, can you imagine that? At which point she's like, let me rethink what I was just thinking, okay? Because what happens In that moment, when you come to believe something like that, no, 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 you don't start just sinning like crazy when you believe you're the righteousness of God. All of a sudden, it's like, man, this God has done this for me? I love him. How can I serve him? This is where my obedience comes from, not because I want to please him, but because I know he's already pleased with me. Let my life be this joyful expression of loving and serving him. At which point, then, you're going to have to deal with this issue again. But I can't. I really want to, but I, I can't. I can't get over. I can't get over my sin. I can't get over my habit. I can't change. I can never change. My family's too strong and all that. Here's what I want you to ask. What one thing can I do? What one thing can I do? In a sea of I can't, I can't, I can't. In a world that's telling you, you can't do it. You can't change. Your family's always been that way. You're going to be that way, too. I want you to know that. Your habit is too well developed and just too hard to break out of that addiction, that problem. You're not, you've tried before, right? You, you know you've tried before and you failed. It's not going to be any different. Don't try again. Don't bother. You're a new creation, okay? If you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. The worldly limits are done. You are now the righteousness of God. Within the context of all that you think you can't control, there is always something you can what is the one thing that you can control within your marriage, within your money, within your personal thought life, within your habits, within your family dynamic, within your relationships, within your work, with your school, with your teacher, with your future? What is the one thing that you know you can do but you've been afraid to because you thought, I can't, I can't change? The truth is, you are the righteousness of God, and how you think drives your reality, creates different behaviors. Therefore, you are a new creation in Christ. The old has gone. I can't has gone. The new has come. The new has come. In this blind spot series, we've tried to hammer away at things that are hard to see. It's always difficult, isn't it? Because we don't think we have a problem. We try to raise a problem, deal with it, and solve it, and make life change in a matter of 35 minutes. My hope for us, even this morning, is that if there's nothing else from this entire series that we get, that we see this truth. You're a new creation. Your new creation. Come on now. The old is gone. The new is coming. You used to think of yourself one way. I used to regard myself in a worldly way. I thought I couldn't do it. But I never realized the truth. I'm the righteousness of God, and I don't deserve it. I know I don't, but I am. And that creates something very different in your heart. So I can do something. I can do something. I can do something. I am not stuck in thinking this is who I'm always going to be. I can change. I can grow. I can. Because I'm new. Because of Jesus Christ. And I hope, if nothing else, that you remember even that simple reality. You're a new creation. We're new people. Not slaves to our fear, our anxiety, or our past. We're a new creation. It's a powerful, powerful, powerful concept for what Jesus has done for you and for me. So here's what I'd like to do to, to end this morning. A little bit different deal. I'd, I'd like us to, to have a moment here where I'm going to actually right now invite the worship team to come up and take their spot at their instruments up there. And for the rest of us here this morning, um, I'd like us to spend a moment now in quiet reflection now at your spot in kind of a, a moment of meditation where you, before God, are asking him, okay, God, I think there's something I can do, but I'm very afraid to do it. There's a person I need to talk to. There's a relationship I need to restore. There's a habit I've been needing to break for a long time, but haven't because I thought I couldn't. Tell me the one thing. Show me the one thing I can do. Help me to live in the reality of being the righteousness of God. Take about 30 seconds, 40 seconds. Bow your head. Invite God's Spirit to guide you, direct you into how you live out being the righteousness of God. Here's what I want us to do. In our passage this morning, Paul reminds us that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation to one another. Which means that I am to encourage you and remind you of who you are. And you are to encourage me and remind me of who I am. That we are given this ministry of encouragement and truth-telling to one another. So in that spirit of the one-anothering, I'd invite you to stand and join hands with the people around you across the aisle in the spirit of oneness and togetherness, even right now, where we stand and join hands in that spirit of togetherness as I lead us in a prayer before we sing together, that we are to give to one another this ministry of truth-telling and loving one another. Father, I pray for us this morning as a people gathered here and scattered in all parts of our county and state country that you would remind us of this truth that it has never been about us at all you have come to us it was all about your reach to us and because of your great reach and sacrifice in bringing Jesus to us and putting our sin on him now we have the incredible incredible title being the righteousness of God something we don't deserve and hardly feel at all but is true as we join hands together this morning father may this be symbolic of our desire to tell truth to one another to speak the truth to remind one another this is who you are this is what God has done we give to you that ministry that encouragement to help one another Remember when depressed, when discouraged, when burnt out and stressed out, you can because you're new. You're new You've been made new by the power of God through Jesus Christ. We want to be people who, like this last song says, gives you our heart, gives you everything we have, that through us others may come to see the beauty and the power and the awesome strength. Becoming a new creation in you. Give us courage. And we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.